0: Now it's time, if you'll grab your Bibles, your smartphones, your iPads, whatever you need, if you'd find Romans chapter 10. We're going to be again reading in verse 5, Romans chapter 10 and verse 5 through 13. I will let you know there's no other place I'd rather be than the house of the Lord praising and worshiping and studying God's Word together. Even further than that, no place I'd rather be on this particular Sunday morning than here at Parkway Baptist Church ready to worship. Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. What a great and high honor and privilege it is for me to be able to stand before you on most every Sunday to be able to preach God's Word, to be able to teach it, read, and worship together. So we're glad you're here today. Know that the Lord has great things already in store, already been working through a worship service today. We've been talking about uh, not just another nation, for the Bible calls us, those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, we are A nation under God. We are a nation pulled together, not by boundary geography, but because of our common bond that we share in Jesus Christ. We're called a royal priesthood. We are peculiar people, unique, set apart for the purpose and the mission that He has for each one of us. We these particular verses that were chapters we look at in Romans under uh, kind of this series of messages as it talks about not just another nation. We want to be able to find clearly what the Lord has in store for us as believers in the Lord Jesus certainly for this church we know that has implications even for the United States and in particular Romans uh, 9 10, 11 talks about Israel so we're going to talk a little bit about that and matter of fact in Romans chapter 9 first part of verse 10 Paul begins to tell about how Israel had rejected Jesus even though they were a chosen nation and a chosen people and it opened up uh, to those who were not of the Jewish nations even before that the Jewish people to be a light to the Gentiles. And we know that the Lord continues to have that mission so that all people might be able to know Him. But He continues to explain, helps us to be understand. so we kind of pick up in the middle of what Paul is explaining here to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 10 and verse 5. This now is the Word of God. For Moses writes about the righteous that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteous, based on faith, says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, for the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. I can remember when our children were coming along and elementary school when they first began to go and have library day at the school where they were able to check choose their own books and check them out and bring them home. do they still have library day for kids at school today or is it all digital still library day kids can go and pick up but the school librarian in elementary school went to our church and she thought it was uh, fairly funny I guess that uh, my child, one of my daughters would bring home one day the book that says Hannah learns all about Hanukkah. For some reason she thought it was funny that the Baptist preacher would bring home, preacher's daughter would bring home a book about the Jewish religion. But we read it and learned a lot about it. And if you know anything about the Bible you know why that's not so strange. Because if you read any parts of the Bible particularly Old Testament and even what we're reading here in the New Testament we know that we learn a lot about the Jewish religion. And for the people for which God chose to reveal Himself, and by doing so we learn a lot about us as well, also as God's chosen people. The question I get asked most about the Jewish religion is, what do the Jews believe about the Messiah today? Are they still looking for a Savior? And the answer is technically yes, but practically no. Unless they're Messianic Jews or have placed their faith in Jesus, of course, they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And if pressed upon, they will say that they're still looking for the Messiah. Most will do so, but in practice, probably not. Uh, Now, you need to know that certainly of those who are Jewish in the United States today, only a small percentage of those are Orthodox Jews. That is, Jews who are uh, going to temple, who are practicing and uh, taking part in the religious festivities and the, those things that happen in the church. Certainly there are many more in Israel and other parts of the world, but most who even are uh, Orthodox Jews are not necessarily looking for the Messiah. They are not. They are, just as they were not looking for the Messiah when Jesus came because their religion was wrapped up in ritual in, uh, uh, and all the, the, all the things that they were doing and sacrifices and ceremony. Not for every Jew. We know of Simeon and Anna who were waiting in the temple when Jesus was dedicated. And throughout the centuries, Jews who have searched the Scripture have found Christ. For you can find Christ as Savior even in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We just read nine verses, and six of those verses are quotes from the Old Testament. Everything about the Jewish religion points to the coming Messiah. Sacrifices and priesthood and temple services and festivals, covenants and the law... And especially the sacrificial lamb. Everything about their religion told them that they were sinners in need of a Savior, but they missed the Savior. Now, we probably need not be surprised that there's still a lot of interest about the Jewish religion, and we hear so much about it still politically and on the news today, and people are still asking some of the same questions they were asking in Paul's day. It's what these few chapters, these... in. Romans are talking about in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 about their Israelites who rejected Jesus. But why did they reject Jesus? And what does it mean for the rest of us? And still today, Jews are a special, unique people who are rich in history, who have survived exiles and Holocaust. They survived because of the grace of God. They are people of character. However, even today, the Orthodox Jew is wrapped up in religion that should point them to Jesus, but many remain spiritually far from God. We read a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 9. If you notice back in Romans chapter 9, verses 31 and 32, it says this. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And who's the stumbling stone? Of course, it's Jesus who was to be the cornerstone. Now the Bible while it is the story of redemption through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is also the story of God's people turning their backs on God. The very same people whom God chose to reveal Himself and make a blessing to the world through Jesus, the people God loved, had rejected the good news, at least for the most part. They chose religion and a self-righteousness through works which was a flawed in every way instead of faith in the living Lord. i got to tell you, my friends, that... You don't have to be an Israelite to be clueless about spiritual matters. In fact, there are a lot of people who carry the title of Christian or maybe even carry the title of Baptist who are clueless when it comes to recognizing the work of God in and around their life. Uh, Have you you heard of that tongue-in-the-cheek kind of a country song, I guess, put out by a comedian some years ago? And Students, if you haven't, you might want to look it up, but it's called, Here's Your Sign." And actually about, I guess, people who are not so bright that ought to, be, ought to carry a sign around so that other people will know before they try to strike up a conversation. Well, it wouldn't be too bad in church maybe sometime to be able to know. People who may not be so bright in spiritual matters a little clueless that we might be able to say, here's your sign. Now, some of us don't need a sign you can tell right off. But there's a statement that says, you know, a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. But we also need to understand and know that a little bit of religion can be dangerous. Sometimes a little bit of church can be dangerous, and believe it or not, even a little bit of Jesus can be dangerous, and that is because perhaps you can carry the name of Christian and carry them and do more harm to the name of Jesus if you have what you may think is just a little bit of Jesus rather than having all of Jesus in your life. So here's what we want to do this morning. We want to be able to understand because of what the Apostle Paul has written here so that we don't want to be spiritually clueless. We want to get clued in to where the Lord is at work and the things that He would have us to know. As a matter of fact, even your notes are a little simpler than usual. Some of you that uh, know my notes, sometimes they get a little bit complicated, lots of blanks to fill in. Well, here you just got three or four, four blanks, I guess, and for you to fill in, but we don't want you to miss. There's, there are some other things that you might want to write down, some things that might even be impressed upon you that you might want to write down. But we want to make it easy to understand that we get clued in to God's clear message. Now, some people, I guess, and there are some groups, who say that everyone has kind of a God that is living inside each one of us. Or for some people, they describe it as maybe even as an energy source, or maybe there's a light that you need to find inside. In fact, I was reading not very long ago kind of a message that was being taught to some young people that they were to go outside and they were to pick a star out of the out of the sky, they to claim that star as their very own, and imagine that star that would be living inside of them, and then when they had a difficult time, they could call upon the energy and the light of that star to come shining through. Well, it's not very biblical. In fact, we call that New Age, though there's nothing new about it, that kind of thing's been around for a long time. And then there are those who perhaps teach that you can become a god yourself after this life is over, or at some point, depending on... How well you do, perhaps, in this life. Those who teach those, we call those cults. And then there are those who believe or don't know that there's a God or not. But if there is a God, He's far, far away from us. Thus, we come up with the term agnostic. To these we say, here's your sign. And the first one is this, God's grace is always near. God and His grace are always near. You don't have to go very far to find God. Now, the Pathfinder was the name of the first miniature vehicle that was sent to Mars and sent back pictures for a while, then suddenly shut off. Of course, billions of dollars was spent to uh, be able to put the Pathfinder on Mars. Three decades were put into the project. Regardless of its success, we've landed on Mars, and we've done so many times since. In fact, the last time was through the Mars Lander InSight, which landed on Mars this past November 2018. And have you heard we're going back to the moon 2024 is the date that is projected for that, and uh, instead we're going back. This time we're going back to stay. Going to set up a space station. I guess it would be a lunar station or moon station that we could go there and continue to have people that will be there on the moon. Now, listen. If the Lord tarries, I imagine we will do much more and go probably even farther than that. And I'm, uh, I think that's a good thing. I like that, and I'm curious about those things. And I imagine that only space station or Moon Station, they're probably going to need a pastor at some time or a preacher to come out there. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're ready for me to go right now. But we understand, though, we don't have to ascend into the heavens in order to find God. We will not find answers to life or to eternal life and what is beyond or what is out there or what is up there. Instead, we know that Christ has already come down. We'll not need to find, and we probably will never find, an alien contact because we've already been contacted from someone, the very one, who is, was on the throne of heaven. And also, we don't have to go to the grave. Don't have to go to the abyss because Christ has already arisen. In other words, we don't have to go to great difficulty in order to know the good news of God's grace. At least for us, for all those seated here, it's as close as the church. It's as close as your Bible, or Lord, as close as your prayer closet as close as your mouth to call upon Him, as close as the heart to those who will call upon Him as well. Sometimes it might feel as if God is far away. But this is where faith comes in. This is the reason. There's no reason Paul would have needed to say that God is close, that Jesus is close, that good news is close, if we felt like He was always close and always nearby. But we know by faith and we know that He is always there. Meaning the Jews are trying to earn God's favor. They didn't deny that there is a God. They just thought God was far away and religious practice might bring God closer. But this passage assures us, it shouts to us the nearness of God in His grace. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 says in the Living Bible, it says this, For salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is what we preach, is already within easy reach of each of us. In fact, it is as near as our own hearts and mouths. Salvation, faith, and God are already in easy reach. Salvation, faith, and God are already in easy reach. Here's your sign. As close as the genuineness of your heart or the call on your lips. If you're in need of salvation, God's grace is near. In fact, if you've come here today and you're not sure whether you have a home in heaven or if Christ lives in your heart, I can assure you that God is near. In fact, He's near enough that He's working on your heart, knocking on your heart's door this very day. If you're in the midst of a storm, need some relief or direction, God's not far away. Regardless of your situation or circumstance, call upon Jesus while He may be found. But there's another sign that the Lord wants to make clear to us, and we find from this passage, and it is that confessing Christ as Lord should be natural. Confessing Christ as Lord should be natural. Now, whenever we have baptism, we like to have baptism, I guess, that as much as a biblical baptism or like it was in Jesus' day or when Jesus was baptized, as we can and still be indoors with warm water, you understand. Now, we know it's not exactly like it. And uh, normally when I baptize, i less requested. I don't usually use a handkerchief or hold the candidate's nose. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, you understand. You may have been baptized that way. I guess I just picture in my mind when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, I just didn't picture him having a hanky in his hand and holding, holding Jesus' nose. But understand, also want to have both hands, make sure I, we're fully ready for whoever is being baptized. And when they, we ask them, of course, we ask and I have the privilege to be able to hear up close and personal who is your Lord? They testify that Jesus is Lord. I remember one of our young men, one of our young boys was being baptized, and we were going through the procedure like we've done hundreds of times before and talking through how we do that. And I said, here's the thing you'll need. The only thing you need to remember, I'm going to ask you a question up there. And be the only thing that you have to say, I'm going to say, who is your Lord? We talked about, of course, that Jesus is Lord. And I told him, I said, Jesus is Lord is the usual response. And I said, "Would you like to? would you like to practice? We don't... Maybe with kids, we practice, not everybody. I said, let's practice. And so, just before we're getting ready, about to come in, I said, let's practice. Who is your We got to the part, said, who is your Lord? He stopped, looked. He said, Jesus is Lord is the usual response. I said, well, that's the right answer. It's exactly what we said. That's good. And we had, again, of course, we had the opportunity to be able to talk about how it's not just the words we say, but the fact that He is Lord. I often get asked the question about Romans chapters 10, 9, and 10. About uh, uh, which is often the Roman road to sharing the message of salvation. The question is, in order to be saved, do we have to believe, not just believe, but do we have to often also confess? What if you don't confess it? Will you still be saved? Let me answer that question by saying that, first of all, nothing we've learned in Romans chapters 1 through 9 is that God does the saving. We're saved by His grace. The faith we place in Him unlocks the door, allows the for us to be able to, uh, Christ to come in, but He's done everything that needs to be saved. But a natural part of the saving faith is open confession. Understand that uh, in Jesus' day when someone confessed Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Lord, would be what all Roman citizens and all people of Rome, which... Uh, Israel was under Roman oppression at this time. They would have to say, often, or have to say if asked, Caesar is Lord. But oftentimes they would declare that Jesus is Lord, even though uh, it would often be in danger of losing life or limb, but they declared it faithfully. Uh, But the beginning of the Christian life, it begins with an internal change of the heart which leads to an external confession of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. That's why a few times in the New Testament it says, that sometimes it says, what must you do? You must be saved and then be baptized. Uh, Paul is not saying, or other parts of the New Testament not saying that you must be baptized in order to be saved, or even confess in order to be saved, but it is just a natural overflowing of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is that step of obedience that we want other people to know because of what's happening. The word confess means to agree. So we're agreeing with the good news that Jesus is Lord. And the word for Lord here used in Romans 10, 9 and 10 is the is the the name of Lord is Kyrios. It is the Greek equivalent to the Old Testament name of Yahweh or Jehovah its implications are beyond comprehension and unsearchable his power and authority are unlimited absolute and universal nothing can compare to the one that we're declaring who is lord of our life now put those two signs together god's grace is always near confessing christ is lord the one who is jehovah yahweh god should be natural no wonder the psalmist could not help but write what is man that you are mindful of him and what is man that you care for him. However, when you have confession, maybe without belief, it's just an outward confession, not a genuine belief in the heart, it is a self-deception or at the most hypocrisy. And when there's belief without confession, maybe because of fear or needed for courage, consider making a statement among those who Believe the same thing among those who are rooting for you. If we want to make that sometimes in the church, and we find that even difficult here at church, how much more difficult it will be to go public in this world in which we live. At the most, those who do not go public. It could be a sign where there is head knowledge, where there is no heartfelt faith. Surely that's the warning that Jesus gave when He said, Whoever denies Me before men, I will deny before My Father in Heaven. Jesus knows that those who refuse or never confess Christ are not genuine believers. Someone gave this picture or illustration. It says, It makes no sense to claim there is a fire when there is no heat and no flame. It makes no, no sense to say that there is faith where there's no confession of such and no evidence. Where there is no belief in the resurrected Lord or confession or agreement that Jesus is Lord, there is no salvation. And the confession in the early church centered around that resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the great proven facts in history is that Jesus rose again. He was declared again and again that Jesus is alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it said that they were repeating over and over that I have seen him or he is seen. A God who is alive and at work is the message of the gospel we confess. Take the resurrection out of Christianity and it'd be no more than a well-intentioned ethical system. Romans 10.13 it's a quote from the book of Joel prophet Joel preached to Judah and there was a a great famine that was taking place there were locusts that came in devastating the land and it was a result of uh, wrath of God that was coming because the Israelites had been disobedient and so Joel was giving God's message that they needed to turn back to God that they need to repent of their sins cry out so that they might be saved physically and also might be ready for that final day of the Lord. So he said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But also, in that same chapter in the book of Joel, Joel asked the question, says, what will others believe? What will, what will this message, what will this tell the world in which you live? Then the prophet asked, in Joel chapter 2, and verse 17, why should they say, where is their God? Our confession of Christ is not just something that we do before God, it's something that we do before believers, but it's something that we confess before others. Confession of our faith in the risen Lord is not just for the new Christian. process of salvation that began the day we asked Jesus to come in continues. It. As Jesus works in our life to transform it, your natural reaction should be to confess Jesus as Lord every day by what you say and by what you do. Confess Jesus every day by what you say and what you do. But we don't always do that, do we? I mean, sometimes we shy away from letting people know that we're believers or doing something that would kind of point us out, make us a little bit different. Why do we do that? I think one of the answers perhaps is found in a story that is told in John chapter 12. I'll just share with you a verse and it'll be on the screen here. John 12 verses 42 and 43 John 12 begins that chapter with a triumphal entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey presenting Himself the week His last week before the cross. And then we know that during that week He kept coming back to the temple and He kept continuing to preach and continuing to teach. And then John it's the only gospel writer that includes this. John chapter 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him, meaning the Jewish authorities, But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They would not confess, because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. How tragic. You know what I think they believed? I think they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. These religious leaders, John says, they believed that He was the Messiah, but they did not make Jesus Savior and Lord. How tragic. How tragic to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but not to make Him Savior and Lord of your life so that you can know God's plan and purpose for your life and of your every day. How tragic for eternity to know that Jesus Christ, you can know, you can believe that this is the truth about Jesus, But if you've never made Him Savior and Lord, you'll spend eternity apart from the Holy God. Another town where we used to live, small city, they had this thing that they would do with the 8th graders uh, in the spring. They'd have a transition day, Uh, getting the 8th graders prepared for high school, which is 9th through 12th in that town, and they would have firefighters and policemen and coaches and counselors. I even think they had a self-defense person come in and they would uh, spend the day talking to the 8th eighth graders, eighth grade, you know, traveling classes or two, a couple of classes walking around. And one year they uh, called our church. I think they usually met at the uh, Fine Arts Center, but they couldn't come, so they asked if they could, all the 8th graders could come to our church to use our classrooms and meet around. And, and Really a no-brainer. I mean, those are 8th graders. We'd love for them to know where our church is and love for them to be able to come be a part of their church. About a, about a day or two before they were to have this transition day, the lady that was in charge called me and said, Pastor Jeff said, one of our speakers cannot make it. Would you speak, would you speak on that day for you know all the classes that'd be coming around? And I uh, said, We're really desperate. And of course, my thought was, when you're really desperate, you can't find anybody else, I'm your man. So it was okay. He said, Come on, I said, what do you want me to speak about? And she said well I don't know do you go what do you got and they said well uh, how about how to make good decisions you know and I, she said oh yeah that would be really good I, th- I probably could have said anything I probably could have said how about making great spit which I was expert in eighth grade by the way she said okay come on so they came to our church We had eighth graders there and you know what I really wanted to tell them of course I wanted to think, can I tell them about Jesus I didn't ask that question and my goodness I don't work for the school so I they can't fire me but but I did want to I did want to open doors, you know, maybe for the future and what might be able to happen. So I thought, well, maybe I can get the students to say it. So we had, you know, they'd come to come to me. I had about two classes, so maybe it was 30, 40 students that would come for 50 minutes every hour from eight o'clock to three o'clock. I gotta tell you, in the afternoon I was wore out. My hat's off to you teachers, because my goodness, I was wore out at the end of that. But so we talk about priority, talk about making good decisions, I'd say, well. You know, you've got to have your priorities and help you to make good decisions. So we talked about things that were important to them and tried to list them in order. And then I asked the question, I said, most of them knew I was the pastor anyway. I said, but you know, I'm the pastor. What do you think I think should be the number one priority? You know, one or two might say Jesus, church, and, but somebody said Jesus. They said it. And I said, well, how do you make that your first priority? Another student would say. Some were clued in, you understand. they say, well, you've got to. Put your faith. You got to believe in Jesus. Ask him in to be able to become a Christian. It's okay. So, what difference does it make now if you make Jesus? I didn't say Jesus. They did. What if you make this? What difference does it make in your decision making? Well, I guess then you'd want to make decisions based on pleasing Jesus. And they said it. Jesus is to be the number one priority. You make Jesus number one priority by making Jesus Savior and Lord of your life and putting your faith in Him, and then you live your life in order to seek to please Him. All oh, the story of the gospel that they students gave. I remember, man, what a privilege it was for me able to be able to do that. And they asked me back to do that for about five or six years. I remember after four years, and those eighth graders, I guess, would have been seniors, and I was at a high school football game, pretty crowded game, pretty big game, and looking around all the students, I thought, unless they were absent that day or just really zoned out, I guess, every eighth grader has heard about Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For letting me to take part in the good work that you're doing, but I also tell them, "So when you go to high school, and you're going to be trying to impress people, and you're going to be a part of this group or one of all that." I said, "You know, one day you're going to look back and wonder why you cared about impressing all of those folks, students and even adults. We fall into peer pressure. We want to have the glory of man that becomes more important than the glory of God." Same principle is true all of your life. You ought to be more concerned with glorifying God rather than impressing others. We're going to be in heaven a whole lot longer than going to be here. With those people around us who are Christians, we ought to be developing relationships. We'll fit nicely into heaven. For those who are not Christians, stop worrying about impressing and start confessing that the living Lord has made a difference in your life and He can make a difference in their life too. Another sign that we have... We understand a clear message. We want to join Jesus in the never-ceasing good work. Join Jesus in His never-ceasing good work. The Lord is always at work, and you who have trusted in Christ, you know He's never let you down. You know that He answers prayers. When you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. You, You know that whoever believes on Him will never be put to shame, so you ought to work for Him and share your faith boldly. He's always at work. He just may not always wait around for you to join Him. This was true of the Jewish people. Jesus said, I've come to the Jew first. But the Jews, for the most part, not all, but most rejected Jesus. He was their stumbling stone when He should have been their cornerstone. But the rejection of Jesus, it didn't stop God's work. His work continued on the people. Take a look again at verse 12 of Romans chapter 10. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. Certainly a verse about the equality of all people before Jesus. But how, how do you envision God's riches? You who've fully given your life to Him, all His riches are bestowed upon you. One translation says He richly blesses all who called upon Him. Well, riches certainly include salvation and heaven and all that that entails, but... It also includes the opportunity and the privilege to be able to serve Jesus, His church, and help reach a lost world. Let's make some application. We've been talking about the Jewish nations, talk about the United States for a moment. Are we a blessed people? Well, certainly in many ways and sometimes maybe even more materially, but we have freedoms that we're able to be a part of God's work here and abroad as well. Sometimes we wonder why that might be. We used to say, and still sometimes can, that we're sinned because of all the people that we're sending around the world who are missionaries and telling other people about Jesus. But even in my lifetime, it has changed the fact that there are more evangelical churches in other countries who are now sending more missionaries to the United States to reach the lost in the United States than it is that we are sending out. But if Christians in America, if the church in America, not talking about the lost people in America, but if the believers in America do not take advantage of the opportunities to help the world and this nation, those opportunities and freedoms could be lost. How about the church? How long will the Lord work through Parkway Baptist Church? I believe until He returns. He will continue to be at work if we continue to take advantage of the opportunities that He has given us. We're in the midst of planning this church year. September begins the church year of writing a 10-year vision, 2020 to 2030. But we don't want it to be our vision. We want it to be God's vision. But much of what happens in the future will uh, be determined by how we take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord has already given. How about you as an individual? Same principle applies. How... Well, how much you can be a part of God's plan in the future has to do with what the Lord has given you to do today, what the Lord is calling you to do. And if you're not willing, if I'm not willing, God will find somebody else. Why not let somebody else do it? Because it's your greatest privilege and highest honor to join God in His work. But I will tell you this, that when we're not willing, I do believe the Lord, you know, if the church stops doing what it needs to be doing, the Lord will use another church someplace else. I do believe that takes place. But I do also believe there will be people who will be lost for all eternity because we do not take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord gives us. So our prayer should be, Lord, let us, don't take your hands off of us. Continue to use us. Thank you for the Opportunities that you have already given, open my eyes to the opportunities around me, and let me also be at work as well. Then another uh, uh, sign that we need to see is that the living Lord has no limits. The living Lord has no limits. The most concise, simple invitation of the gospel is Romans 10:13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, among other things, that there is no limit to who God can save or what God can do. The evangelist had finished preaching the revival service. He invited anyone who would to come and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The preacher stood at the front and the fellow came down. Some people knew of his reputation, others did not. But as he came down, he said and asked the question of the preachers to where... Most people in the sanctuary could hear. And he asked the question. He said, do I have to stop smoking marijuana to be saved? (coughs) Everybody heard it, or all those who did heard it, wondered what he would say. What the pastor would say. How would you answer? The pastor said, no, you do not have to stop smoking marijuana to be saved. Holy gasp went out over the sanctuary. And then he said... Would you have to be clean before you take a bath? Jesus accepts you the way you are as you confess your sin, and then He changes you. There's no limits to whom God can save. There's no limit to what God can do in the life of this church. But here's the kicker. You need to know there are no limits to what God can do in and through your life. No limits to what God can do in and through your life. And remember, for those who have turn their life over to Jesus for those who seek to follow him every day. So remember the last verse of chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 verse 33 that says, "See, I lay in Zion a stone causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will not be put to shame." Let me ask you this morning, how do you how do you need to be clued in today? Do you need to know that God's grace is near? Do you need to draw near to him? Do you need to confess your faith before others? Maybe you need to confess your faith for the very first time that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe today you need to come accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or do you need to join Jesus in His good work? Whatever work He has around for you to do, whether it be in your home, at work, at school, in the ball field, wherever you find yourself. Or do you need to stop putting limits on what God can do in and through your life? And you need to trust him every day.